where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 107 of Bubba and the Backflip. Bubba and I continue our 2021 season review um, with the outfield position, where we'll cover some of the top outfield performances of 2021 um, and answer some listener questions. We will shift over to starting pitchers and closers for next week. We'll wrap up this season review series and then we'll get started on our positional previews after that. So hope you are enjoying um, these season reviews. Uh, I'm going to start my drafts pretty soon, maybe in the next week or week or so here, um, which should be pretty exciting. I hope all of your drafts are going well or your draft prep's going well. If you enjoy the podcast, please do uh, leave a rating and review. Always appreciate um, that. You can find me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can find Bubba on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 107, continuing our review of the Fantasy Baseball 2021 season to get you ready for 2022. On tonight's episode, we head to the outfield as we have completed the infield and even the catcher's position. So we go to the outfield. We'll talk about a handful of them on the Rasball Player Raider like we've been doing Kind of give our thoughts to the ones that really stood out compared to others and go from there. So before we get to that, some housekeeping notes. You can me on Twitter at BDNTrick. And my co-host is always on this endeavor on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? Doing well, Bubba. Had a really nice holiday with um, spent with family, which was really good and um, just nice and relaxing, which was nice. We had a huge winter storm here, though. We were... Yep. Power was out for two days. We had to go down to my mother, mother-in-law's. We're fortunate. She's only like 35 minutes away or so. Hang out there since we didn't have any heat and people. There's still a ton of people without power. So, um, yep. But wild. we got a lot of snow, man. Got a lot yeah. of snow up here. We're not it's used to that. Yeah. yeah. How about you guys? How did you fare down there? We were good. Just a bunch of rain. bunch of rain, which is what needed. We need a lot more. So yeah. uh, keep it coming. Keep it coming. But yeah, my mother-in-law was with us, and she kept looking at her ring doorbell and saw snow in Reno, which tells you that when it re- when snows in Reno, it means the pass is ridiculous. You're closer to the mm-hmm. pass than that. So we knew what you were getting uh, up to, and it uh, it looked like quite a bit of snow. So I mean, they had like 10 to 20 feet, I think, um, in the mountains. So yeah, it was wild. Yeah, they broke the record. They broke the record for Tahoe, which is like – you know, yeah, it's a lot of snow. Yeah, but uh, we need it. We need more. Keep the water. Keep the snowpack. Keep the rain. Keep it coming. Looks like it's gonna be dry for a little bit, so uh, we might be back to to normal here for a while. But we'll see. Um, other than that, everything went good, and we will pick up where we left off. We'll go to the outfield. Uh, for those keeping track at home, we use the Rasball Player Raider. See m- m- dollars earned, basically, kind of names that stood out to us. That might not be the the common thing. Kind of our thoughts on that. And then uh, we'll look at some NFBC numbers. Uh, ADP, Toby, I have from December 1st. Did you want to shrink that at all before we get going? 
I think December 1st works great just because okay. there hasn't really been any material changes in baseball since then. So, okay. Yeah. December 1st draft champions drafts for anybody keeping track at home. We'll hit up some listener questions and we will be on our way as usual, but, uh, We'll get started here. The number one outfielder on the player radar was Fernando Tatis Jr. That made $56.70. We'll pass that because we talked about him at the shortstop position, but he made a boatload of money. I mean, $50.50, sorry, not dollars per game overall, which was still $8 more than the next outfielder, which was Teoscar Hernandez. Shocker, another Toronto Blue Jay coming yeah. towards the top of the list. It's just insane what they did this year. And it's going to make it tough to get them all again next year. But Teoscar, some people came into 2021 thinking, okay, could he do it again? You know, shortened season, 16 homers. You know, the season before that, 26. Hit 289 in the shortened season. What could he do? Well, he only hit 296 with 32 homers, 12 stolen bases, 92 runs, 116 RBIs. Looked pretty darn good doing so. Uh, you know, BABIP's a little inflated. We'll see how that goes. But that was back-to-back seasons in the, in the 60-game season as well. So maybe it's a thing we can look to. Still pretty high up there, though. But what's your thoughts on T. Oscar? Because now he's going higher in drafts. And um, I, I've grabbed him in a couple places. I think he's pretty darn good. But I understand if there's some like trepidation behind it as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really, really interesting. Uh, I was huge, and Teoscar was one of the reasons I had a really good 2010 shortened season. But I didn't really believe heading into uh, into last year, which was unfortunate. But, I mean, if you look at the overall profile, he's had the year and a half now of pretty consistent performance. I think one th some things that are interesting to me, I mean, the Babbitt's elevated. You mentioned that. But, you know, we also know he has better than, better than average batted ball quality, slightly better than average speed. You know, so that's good. And then, um, you know, the thing that I think was most impressive, the contact rate was up. Uh, so it was up 4% from the shortened season to 70.3%, about 3% higher than his career average, which is huge for him. I mean, just a little bit of contact goes a long way for him. You know, he's always hit the ball in the air in a consistent basis. Um, and I think like, and the bat ball quality metrics are great. You know, 56 barrels for those 32 home runs is very reasonable. He actually had his lowest home run per fly ball rate in you know, uh, I guess, you know, in two, in three seasons. So, you know, if anything, you know, he could have maybe, um, you know, it, it, it evened out a little bit at 22%. I mean, it's still high, but we'd expect that to be high. I don't see any reason to fade him necessarily. Um, and I think the projections are, are pretty favorable for him um, this year as well. Maybe not going where he is at his ADP, um, but still, I mean, when you think about the fact that he can contribute some batting average, especially if you believe, you know, that steamer may be a little bit low on him, um, at 259, given what he's done the past season and a half, you know, uh, he's, he's solid. You know, I, I have him 41st, you know, in terms of his projection when he's going at a 34 ADP. So it's within range and he provides across all five categories if he can hit for average. So. It's not a bad profile at all. Yeah, to me, it's um, it, it's like if you miss on Marte, I think going with a Teoscar, like the, the debate that'll be fun is like Teoscar, Tyler O'Neill, Randy Rosarena, those types where you get some power, you get some stolen bases, like you get a little bit of all five categories situation. But Teoscar does have that, I think, upside above them with the, that, you know, is better than them type situation. But if he kind of falls back, is it a pack deal? Like, so it's a, it's an interesting spot. If say you want a pitcher early and you needed some outfield stolen base help or something like Teoscar is a great fit and he's proven it now 
So I'm really intrigued to see where he what he does this year. We know where he's going to go in drafts pretty much, but what he does this year to back it up because all those Jays set such high standards between Vlad, Bichette, Simeon's gone. But even like Lourdes Gurriel, who we will we'll probably talk about here, like there's so many Jays that flourished. It'll be really interesting to see how they kind of back that up because the price tag has risen quite a bit. So now it's time to up, put up or shut up type scenario. And um, we'll see how that one plays out. The next outfielder off the board, Starling Marte at $41.10. You know, he started out the year with uh, Miami. Wasn't doing bad. He was doing just fine. But then he headed over to Oakland in the trade, just kept going and going. 47 stolen bases, 12 home runs, hit 310. Marte is an interesting profile for me because I, I've been looking into him quite a bit uh, for drafts. I love the profile. Like The steals are great. He's done it a lot. 20-plus steals is pretty much a thing you can count on. He might get you 30 to 40. You never know. He is getting older is a little concern for me. Still getting it done, but the power overall isn't what it used to be. And he never really had a ton to begin with. He had a couple big years, but the power is kind of, I think, deceiving to some. He doesn't drive in runs, does not drive in runs at all. So for me, it's almost like he's a Whit Merrifield type, but in the outfield. And part of me wonders if we're inflating him too much in drafts where I'd rather go take a T Oscar or someone else that can give me more power at the position. But Talking review-wise, Marte had a heck of a season. No denying that. Yeah, he did. I mean, I've got like a little bit of caution around Marte just because the numbers are – like the 47 stolen bases carried him so much. And it seems really challenging for that to be a sustainable mark for him. I mean, it's the most he's had since 2016. He's a year older. I think it was also inflated a little bit by an OBP that was boosted considerably by a a 372 Babbitt, you know, which was uh, his highest since 2016 as well. He obviously has speed, but there's a couple like things that I have that are worry, worry me, obviously the high Babbitt and the regression that's coming there. He'll still hit for a plus batting average, obviously, but the ground ball rate continues to increase. It was at 55%. I think you see that whittling down the power. He had 12 home runs. You know, he did have 31 barrels and he played in pretty hitter unfriendly environments with the A's and then with, with the Marlins. And I think the Marlins actually have the hardest ballpark to hit home run in. So, you know, maybe like a little bit of, of um, positive help there. You know, the RBI being low, he hit at the top of the lineup mostly. I think he mostly batted second, you know, impacted by playing on a bad team with the Marlins. And then maybe if the D, there's the DH and the NL. You know, with, with him going to the Mets, that'll help. So, um, you know, that being said, he still contributes in, relatively speaking, five categories. The real, well, I guess it's just four because he's not really contributing in RBI. But you know what I mean. Like, he's contributing some home runs. The stolen bases are really good. I don't think the Mets would have signed him, you know, if they wanted to rein him in, you know, on the base paths necessarily. But I think, you know, just like a little bit of caution for me, the plate appearances, you know, 600 plate appearances once in the last six seasons. He just went to the Mets, so he's guaranteed to go on the IL as a result of that. Like just the Mets will be the IL designation that he'll have. Um, so just I, I, I'd, I'd move forward with a little bit of trepidation going where he's going. If you were to give me kind of the Marte versus the Teoscar, I'd probably take, you know, Teoscar in that particular instance. That's where I'm starting to lean. Like, I was all excited about Marte. Uh, I'm pretty sure I got him at the FPAS draft. But the more I sat down and looked at things, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that anymore. Like, he's good, but there's definitely some concern that I have. Great 2021 season, no doubt in that. 
a lot of questions I have for 2022. So I'll probably be passing on that and go with Tiosco or, or a Rosarena or someone else later on. The fourth outfielder off the board, making a little over $40 this past season, was the NL MVP, Mr. Bryce Harper, who it seems like perennially does not he, – he gets respect, but not the respect I think he deserves. We've, t- we've taught consistency at other positions, and Bryce is that guy. Like at worst, he hits you 260, 270. He hit 309 last year. He hit 319 in 2017. Like he's, he's got the ability to hit 300. We've seen it now. Like if you read um, the forecaster, like once a guy proves he can do something, it's there. So it's like he might be able to bounce back for you type deal. It's a, it's a good a good trait to see. But he also, you know, he's going to hit you like 30-plus home runs, at least 25-plus, usually 30-plus each year. Going to steal you double-digit bags. He's going to provide you a lot of really good categories. And he goes later in the in the, in the the first round. So um, I think he had a great year. And it, it's just funny to me, even last year, people didn't think he deserved – some people didn't think he deserved the MVP, and the guy is just consistently very, very good. Yeah, he's unbelievable. I mean, it's interesting. I've always been down on him just from a fantasy perspective, you know, because of the batting average with a little bit of a question mark. But he's one of these guys that takes a huge leap forward because of the context of the league and the fact that batting average has dipped so much. I mean, like you mentioned, you can be like, oh, batting average is a concern. But, you know, he's better than league average, you know, in terms of, um, batting average in the last three seasons, you know, uh, four of the last five seasons, he really has that 249 batting average, you know, that sticks out a little bit like a sore thumb there. But even if you give it, if you were to be guaranteed that line, 249, 34 home runs, 103 runs, 100 RBI, and 13 stolen bases, right? You take that. So I have no problem. I think he's a really nice kind of back end of the first round because he gets you that's the stolen bases, he gets you the power. A little bit of the question mark around average. He's not going to give you something super high, but um, he's just, he's really a phenomenal baseball player. I mean, the OBP, in OBP leagues, holy cow. Yep. Uh, he's phenomenal. He's always been phenomenal. So this will be the first year I think that I'm kind of in on, on Bryce Harper um, in the kind of late first round area um, in terms of like, you know, what he did. I mean, it's a very consistent and solid profile. His ground ball rate actually went up. You know, maybe contributed to the elevated Babbitt. A little bit of concerns there, but you don't go in thinking that the guy's going to hit 309, right? You're thinking 260s, 270s, maybe. Um, that's what you got to project for, and that would, that's what the projections have him at. 65 barrels, 18.1% barrel rate, his highest of his career. You know, his high, well, about even with his highest max exit helo, there's really no signs that, you know, of any diminishing skill whatsoever with Harper. Stolen bases, I think, through the last four seasons now, right? He's got double digits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, through the last four seasons. He had 15 this year after 13. So, yeah, he's getting older, but the Phillies are letting him run. He's being successful doing that. Um, you know, just a really uh, solid season, and he deserved an MVP for, for sure. And it's it's just one of these things where it's like, man, if the guy's expectations going in wasn't that he's going to be a Hall of Famer and the best player ever, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we'd have a lot more of an appreciation for him. Yep. And that that's the thing is like I have so many friends that just like, oh, he's cocky, he's this, because I think the way it all started with him, like he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high school kid and everything. He's backed it up. Like he's talked to talk and walked to walk. And like that's all I could respect about the man. So and he's not the one that put himself on the cover, let's put it that way. There's people around him that made that stuff happen. So it's 
wrote let's, let's slow that boat down a little bit. I mean, but uh, and would you turn out down being on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Oh no, no, not at all, not at all. No, like, I would. He he got his G he got his GED and went and played college baseball a year early. Like that's how good he was. So and yeah. he pitched then too. He was a pitcher and a catcher. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, got a cannon too. I mean, yeah. hey, throw Sports Illustrated if you're listening to this podcast, which I know you are because you value. Quality fantasy baseball content. I will go on the cover of Sports there you Illustrated go. if you want. Yeah, he's I mean, got look you. at this. Look at he's this. Got you. You got to take a. You have to take a number behind Phil DeSoe, but you'll get there eventually. Uh, it's true. I'll take a. I'll take a number behind Phil gladly. But I mean, can Phil pull off orange plaid or orange flannel? I was thinking, I mean, he pull off flannel. Period. Like you are the uh, king. Of, you, you have the lumberjack look. He does live in. Um, he love. He does live in Canada. So he's a little bit tougher than I am, most likely. Can you can you tap maple syrup from your trees? Because he probably can. I cannot tap maple okay. syrup from. See, from that's my that's going to be an issue. It's going to so, be a big uh, issue. Yes, he's a five tool player now. No, he is six tools with <laughs> six maple tools. syrup. Six tool player. Yeah. All right. The next outfielder off the board is like a twelve tool player. Uh, Juan Soto is just a, an amazing specimen. He actually made the same amount of earned dollars as Bryce Harper, both forty dollars and thirty cents. Uh, Soto's amazing. And to think about what he did, 29 home runs, nine stolen bases, 313. The OBP was nuts. For those that remember back, like the last month to two months was just unconscious. What he was doing, getting on base and everything he did. Remember the questions we were getting? Yeah, it made up up for the slow start when he was hurt with a shoulder injury. Imagine, and I know you can't because it's what happened, just how good he is when he puts together a healthy season, which he's done prior to this. So I just kind of – the guy's amazing. I have nothing to say like – He's one of those guys – we've talked about Trey Turner going number one. I think that's still the, the right call, you know, if you want to put Fernando or whatever. I don't care. If someone wants to go Juan Soto, I don't argue it. I know he, like, he might not get you the steals the other guys do, but he is one of the more baseline stats you can just throw out there and just walk away. Like, you're never going to worry about him unless he's seriously hurt. Yeah, I mean, he's he's great. He's brilliant. Um I don't have really anything to add. He's 23. Like he's, <laughs> he's 23 and he's Jesus. everything's super good. The contact, the he had a 15.1% O swing last year. He swung. I mean, like, come on, come on, dude. Yeah, it's not normal. The best hitter in baseball, I would say. Well, yeah. Oh, that that's I think it's fair. It's it's a definite yeah, it's a lot of ground balls still, but not not that, that impacts him negatively, but like Still pretty good. Pretty good. He's good. He's good. So, all right. The next one, you don't, yeah, we don't have a lot that's needed to be said about Juan Soto. Cedric Mullins, sixth uh, outfielder, $38.60. The Justin Mason uh, auto draft player of the world. You know, you have to get him at pick 15 now if you want him. It feels like in drafts because actually I'm in a draft with Mason right now and he did not get Cedric Mullins, which is very exciting to see because he would have to take him really early to get him. And he, I don't think he had the, the, the want to do that. But said Mullins was amazing. You know, he played in 159 games, which was huge for the plate appearances. 30 homers, 30 steals, 291 average. Quite the jump from previous numbers, Toby. Quite the jump. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, it's interesting. With the type of profile that he has, though, you know, um, I mean, he seems he seems fine, which I'll get to in a second. I mean, when you look at it, you know, obviously the move to just left-handed hitting was a boon to him. You know, he's been really good since he made that switch. Listen up, Aussie Albies. Um, but, 
you know, improved his plate discipline, improved his contact rate, improved his hard hit rate, obviously. I think the major question is, is the power. I think we've talked about this before, so I won't belabor it, but a 15.5% home run per fly ball rate, which was higher um, than any other, you know, previous year, way above, you know, his career, um, his career average and elevated just in terms of like what the average player in baseball does. And I'm not quite sure that he, that's, that's what he is. He had 39 barrels for those 30 home runs, uh, which is, you know, somewhat reasonable, but, um, a little bit on the, on the high side there, you know, but the barrel rate did spike 8.1%. So the quality of contact was decent. I think he's one of these guys where like everybody maybe is afraid to draft him. Cause they're like, I don't want to be the guy who drafts the guy after he had the breakout season. And I think that's, that's reasonable depending on, I don't think he's going like that. Yeah. He's going around pick 30. Mm-hmm. So, and I have him in my, in, you know, in my projection sheet, he is player 25. So he's actually a value with the steamer projection. This is just steamer. So this will change as we get more projection systems and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, he seems, he seems totally fine where he's going right now. And if you're looking for kind of that, that all around five category guy, maybe a little bit light in, in, in RBI obviously, but um, you know, he's, he's a solid way to start and outfield shallow. Yeah. I have no problem with him. Like it's one of those, you just got to put your blinders on and not think like, okay, this came out of nowhere. Can you do it again? Cause you're, you, the profile's really good. Ballpark's good. Those things aren't going to change anytime soon. It's just a matter of, do you trust it? Like if he was in round, like another like 10 picks later, I feel so much better about life, but it's one of those go get your guys, go do your thing. Like I have no problem with someone taking them around pick 30. It's when they start pushing them into the teens. I start going, I think there's better options. But, um, hey, to each their own, it probably helped people like Justin Mason do very well last year. So, no problem with that at all. The next outfielder off the board we already talked about, that was Whit Merrifield. He uh, made 37.70. Dude's awesome. So, uh, if you want to go get his info, go back to the second base pod. But the number eight outfielder, Nick Castellanos, made almost $36. Casti hit 309 with 34 home runs in only 138 games, 585 plate appearances. Uh, played very, very well, free agent this year. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But as a whole, we knew he would flourish in uh, Great American Small Park. He flourished in Great American Small Park. Just an amazing pure hitter. Yeah, I mean, he definitely is. Um, he kind of put it all together. And one of the things that's interesting about him, though, is he's going about where he went last year in drafts, like right now. Like he's he's at around pick 70, which is kind of interesting. I actually have him a little as slightly as a a little bit of a value this year. Um, I'm a little hesitant. Um, number one, you mentioned great American small park. He obviously didn't resign with the reds. I think there's still the possibility he could do that, but I don't see the reds shelling out money for him given the direction they're heading. 23 of his home runs last year were at home compared to 11 on the road. So it's not like he doesn't have any power, but I'm just not sure that I trust um, the power to be at the level it was, you know, last year, 34 home runs and 585, you know, plate appearances. He also had his highest batting average, you know, by a pretty decent, you know, margin, at least 10 points, um, elevated Babbitt. So, you know, I think he's a really good hitter. I think he's solid all around, you know, he should contribute in four of the categories, not a lot of speed. So if you've been able to, if you're just looking for like a guy who hits, you know, who's like a good hitter. I think Castellanos is, is 
is perfectly fine. But I think oftentimes in this area, depending on how you build your pitching, you're, you're looking for, um, you know, you're looking for maybe a little bit of speed or something like that. So, uh, everything looks fine. Definitely. I would downgrade him given the change of scenery and, and the fact that he kind of seemed to have his best season last year, but yeah, he's fine. That's been my, my deal with uh Casty right now is it's, I've had chances to draft him and I either get a speed guy or a starting pitcher. And that's been my hardest part with him is I've been so close, like going, okay, I kind of want to get Casty, but I need X or Y and yeah. he's Z. So it's like, it's one of those where I think one of these drafts, I'm just going to take him because I know how good he can be. And maybe I'll just differentiate my team some other way, but I have not landed on him just yet. Like Mason's drafting right after me in a draft. And I think I took Max Freed or something as my SP one, because that's just the way things rolled. And Cast, he took Cassie the very next pick. I was debating between the two, but I was like, okay, if I don't take Freed now, now it's like, do I want Luis Castillo or Joe Musgrove to be my SP one? Or like, it just there's those decisions that have to be made, which might not be a bad idea. That's why I say I might take uh, Cassie one of these times. I seem to have the seventh or eighth pick in every draft right now, and then um, I'll just get one of those pitchers after. So it's just the way you want to build your team is how he kind of falls right now. All right, the next outfielder off the board, Aaron Judge, $35.10, just behind Castellanos. Judge had a healthy season, 148 games, 633 plate appearances. First time he's done anything close to that since 2017. In 17, he had 52 homers, nine stolen bases, hit 284. This past season, 39 homers, six stolen bases, hit 287. Very, very solid campaign. It's never been a question of Judge's skills. It's just about, about Judge staying on the field. He did it this last year. And that's just the risk you know you're going to have to take coming into the draft day. But he is that good. And um, I don't, I honestly think the power – I was surprised there's only 39 homers, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he um, – yeah, he's good. I got to get rid of my Aaron Judge bias here. You know, I'm like – it's just that profile early into drafts and the injuries, you know, but it's the – goes back to that thing, you know, like, is a player injury prone necessarily? Maybe with like a big body like his, I don't know. I got to, I got to review the research on that one. But in terms of what he did last year, I think the major piece was an increase in contact rate, 6% from 2020, almost 10%, you know, from previous seasons. I mean, really big. And, And when you think about that, I mean, that's just so huge for him because we know the quality of contact is so great so if you can he can if he can hold on to those contact increases i mean then he becomes like i mean he's pretty close to league average last year with a really good play discipline he just becomes a really hard hard hitter to, to pitch to you know the six stolen bases are actually pretty nice and, and steamer has them for five next year there's nothing i can really quibble with like with the profile the question will just be whether he can maintain those kind of contact gains Thinking about um, Teoscar Hernandez as well, like it's a similar story, I think, to Teoscar in the sense that if they're able to maintain those contact gains, it, it becomes really hard to see a huge weakness in in the overall pet profile unless you're like one of those people concerned about, you know, the, the injury stuff. You know, the Max EV was back up to where it was back in 2018 at 119, which is nuts. You know, he had 70 barrels for the, with those 41 home runs. You'd expect, you know, more, you know, like you mentioned, like I think you'd expect more home runs. There's a lot to like there. I mean, and Steamer absolutely adores Aaron Judge. I mean, I don't know what um, Aaron Judge has, you know, what types of gifts gifts he's bestowed on on Jared Cross, who does Steamer. And, uh, you know, I, 
uh, he does great work. Steamer does, but I have Judge as the 14th ranked hitter um, with good. an ADP of 46. So you're getting a 32 pick. Gonna have to change that bias there. for sure. I know. The question <laughs> is. Is my bias strong enough to just throw the projections out the window? Yep. Probably, but um, I'm sure somebody else will, will draft him. But no, I mean, yeah. everything he did last year, if he can replicate that, I mean, the contact rate gains, so big. That's like the, the biggest thing for a guy like him, where that was the one hole yep. in, in his overall approach. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things we've talked about a lot that's just been good about these reviews is – we might have to change our mindset on certain players because we can't absolutely just... not, Bubba. I will not <laughs> change my preconditioned disposition towards any player because of the data. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I believe in confirmation bias. Yeah. All right. I'm looking for data points that support my underlying thesis. Well, the good the good thing about fantasy sports is you can find anything you want to support a bias. That's for, for sure. sure. For sure, uh, you definitely can. Have, but, uh, have you seen how he's doing on um, on breaking pitches? I exactly. mean, the guy can't hit a breaking pitch for whatever. Yeah. Never draft him. Can't hit a breaking curveball. Can't hit a slider. Like, can't it's horrible. Hit. Um, have you yeah. seen him against splitters? Oh, jeez. Yeah. He's the Pedro Serrano of, of off-speed pitchers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Stay yeah. away from the guy. Holy cow. <laughs> exactly. Man, and, and in 3-2 counts, nonetheless, when he, threw, when he sees those. And then after the pitches. sixth inning, oh, my goodness. Like, go check it out. But uh, he's oh. fun. I don't know if we're going to get to his teammate because his teammate's farther down the list. He's also farther down the ADP list. But Giancarlo is healthy also. And – I know Giancarlo did, and I want to say Judge did with him, but I don't know for sure. Giancarlo stopped lifting as much, did more yoga, and that's what helped him stay healthy. And I think Judge did too. Those are just two guys. Like, if they're healthy, we know what they do. They literally murder baseballs. Like, I would be terrified to be a starting pitcher against either one of those guys, the way they hit a baseball. So That's a narrative I can buy into too. I mean, the yoga narrative is – well, for those guys, they need it. Is, they need those guys need it. They need to stop. I know. I mean, flexibility. <laughs> like at a certain point, at a certain point, your levers are like six, seven, and yeah. you know, two sixty. Like you're so big, you're like T Rex with a tooth. It's not the strength you need, guys. Yeah. Like if your max EV goes from like one twenty to like one eighteen, you're still in good shape. Exactly. Yeah. I, so. The yoga narrative. I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to bust that out. Like we should do a really long thread about like the yoga narrative for, for, um, for them. And we could do like a video breakdown. We'll have to get like somebody who can do those video breakdowns, like Kirkland or something who can like do one and we can compare like previous seasons to the other seasons, but only focus on flexibility. Yeah. So we can be like, I mean, do you see those hammies? Like, do you see the, the range of those hamstrings on that turn? Oh, dude. The Man. torque he creates now—it's like, like a uh, corkscrew, for sure. <laughs> and I'm and I'm not like putting down yoga at all. I think yeah. that actually probably it helps a um, ton. It, it does help a ton, yeah. um, so. as well as your core strength. I mean, yep. it's where it all which starts, the, guys. Which they were having oblique injuries. Now you don't have them as much because you got the core strength. Little things like that. Yeah, I mean, you guys think I'm really good at this podcasting thing because of just natural talent. It, this is yoga. If I didn't have the core strength, Bubba, that <laughs> if I didn't have the core strength, it would be we'd be out the window. I mean, I like, figured this, it. I would be shocked. 
I figured it was all. I figured it was all the desserts, not the yoga. So uh, I, you'd be surprised, you know, when you think about like the scales of justice. And on one side you have desserts, and on the other side you have yoga. They balance yeah. each other out pretty well. They do. They do. It's like the Supreme Court picture with the lady holding them both. It's just what it does. It's very uh, simple. She's almost absolutely. in a. Little, she's almost in a yoga pose when you see it. It makes sense. That's true. It it's makes true. sense. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I think and, you got something there. Yeah, I'm currently on a cleanse right now. Like I'm just eating. Oh, right after like, the holidays, the New Year's. Right. Cleanse. Oh, dude. Oh. Because I just got. I got out ahead of myself. And um, yeah, so it's just, it's been like all vegetables for me, like all vegetables and like some Jesus. like plant protein shakes and, um, and uh, yeah, just a little bit of plant and, and animal protein. Like I have my sardines, I get one can of sardines and like, oh, I got some garbanzo beans. I'm hitting those hard for lunch in between my shakes. <laughs> I never thought um, I hear someone say hitting those hard for lunch. Uh, dude, I, but I, I, I feel so much better feel so much better like there's just a certain point where you're just like I you had too much too yeah. much yeah. i understand i am too much i get it um all right next outfielder off the board we're going to transition here is uh kyle uh, kyle tucker well, austin riley we talked about him already kyle tucker 33 dollars and 70 cents the uh the 24 year old Finally had that coming out party, 30 homers, 14 stolen bases, 294 average. And it was after kind of a slow start to the season. He really turned it on as the season went on. And now he's going to be a focal point of that offense. And he's going early in drafts. But this is another one of those guys. Like you, he's Him and like Bryce Harper and Mookie Betts have been kind of that conversation later, mid to later first round. And uh, Tucker's been winning a lot of those conversations. Yeah, you know, um, on one hand, you know, like there's the Aaron Judge projection from Steamer. And then on the other hand, there's like the Kyle Tucker projection, you know, from Steamer. And I'm like, what did Kyle Tucker do to get this projection? Um, I mean, I absolutely love Kyle Tucker. I loved him last year. I had him on a number of teams, my more successful teams. I think even last year when he struggled, he struggled not because he was doing anything wrong. He was just getting super unlucky. I mean, the first half of the year, like it was just unbelievable. The guy does everything. I mean, the stolen bases, the 14 stolen bases last year were a little bit of a disappointment, you know, for sure. I think, you know, for those of us who were hoping for like 20 plus, but still really solid. I think the thing that impressed me most is just the batting average. I mean, it's gotta be there. I know he's at 278. But the dude does not strike out. He's got elite contact rates. He's got improving plate discipline. The batted ball quality is really good. He set his max exit below high at 111.1. He had 49 barrels, 11.6%. You know, even his expected batting average, which I only like to use when it's reinforcing a point that I'm making, <laughs> was 307 compared to his 294 batting average. You know, he's going to be in a really good lineup. He's even going to move up a little bit. So those runs and RBI totals from last year are a little bit low. You know, even though he was under 600 plate appearances, he's going to be moving up at least one slot. I, I cannot believe, I mean, how egregious will it be if they continue? I love Yuli Gurriel. I love Yuli Gurriel. But how on earth do you have Yuli Gurriel higher up in the lineup than Kyle Tucker, Houston Astros? And I know it probably won't change because that's just how things roll and Dusty Baker's smarter than I am and and whatever. So he'll be hitting sixth instead of seventh or fifth instead of sixth or whatever. But, I mean, I just absolutely love it with Kyle Tucker. The projections have him as a serious, like, 
overpriced guy. They have him as the 27th best. You know, the ADP is 11 right now. But, you know, again, you got to look at the projection. Do you think he's going to hit 278? I would boost that, you know, for sure. I mean, the 304 Babbitt last year with what he did, you know, the K rate seems very reasonable given where his contact rates have been recently. Um, I think we've been like talking about that last year about how his, his K rates were too high for what he was doing yep. um, contact rate wise last year. So uh, I really like Kyle Tucker. I'm totally fine getting him you know, in the second half of the first round, I think that's totally reasonable. It's where you're going to have to draft him. Um, so yeah, I love Kyle Tucker. Yep. Uh, I'm going to love him a lot this year. Cause like I said, I'm picking seventh and eighth a lot. So I have a lot of decisions on Kyle Tucker and have a few shares already. So it's uh, I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan of if people have listened to our show long enough. I've big, big fan of Kyle Tucker. So I'm glad he's finally getting his and I'm with you. Bat him ahead of Yuli Guriel, please. Like, it's very simple. And you think he'd want to. You think he'd want to, but just a thought. Yeah, for sure. And on the dessert narrative, I don't know if you read that athletic article about Kyle Tucker and about how he, like, uh, you haven't. Oh, man. Oh. At the end of the season or during the playoffs, they interviewed him and they were talking to him. And I guess he's, uh, he has a terrible diet. Like, um, and he, I can't remember what cereal it is that he eats. I think it's like Captain Crunch or something like that. I'm going to look it up really quickly, but essentially, um, essentially, uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. There you cinnamon go. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Even better. Even he wanted to get his splits. He was like, I really want to get my splits for when I eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch and when I don't, because he didn't have Cinnamon Toast Crunch when he was struggling and then he started eating it and he was like doing really well. It was hysterical. It made him seem like at least a funny human. Oh, he's um, got to be. It's probably from uh, the minor leagues because he doesn't have any money to buy real food. Dude, <laughs> Kyle Tucker is every teenage yeah. teenager who's like, dude, gonna, why do they give me yeah. these small bowls for cereal when I need yeah. like a mixing bowl for cereal? You know? Exactly. Um, so anyway, I appreciate that about Kyle Tucker too. It made me, made me like him more. So. Yeah, that diet's going to last about another year maybe. And then yeah. that's going to change real quick as he sticks around with that uh, gourmet food in the clubhouse. He's a, um, he's a pole too. Like yes, definitely. Um, the 12th outfielder off the board, Tyler O'Neill. Big, big earns if you drafted him. Like we talked Mullins, O'Neill was probably undrafted in a lot of oh, ways. Oh, yeah, you picked him up off the waiver wire. Yeah, this is a big one. 34 homers, 15 steals at 286. Um, projections love him yet again. In the minors, we've seen the power, a little bit of speed. He put it all together this past year. So it's just a matter of uh, the playing time to make it work. And he got it this past year. He should have it going into 2022. But one heck of a season. He's another guy going into drafts. You have to be like, do I believe in it? Because if I do, you got to pay for it. So he's another fun one. He's like the Teoscar Hernandez this year of last year to me. Yeah. For sure. And and one thing, I mean, Teoscar, I think, is a really good comp, you know, for him just generally. I mean, it's a very similar profile where you have the good batting average because of the elevated Babbitt. And the question is whether that's going to, whether he's going to be able to maintain that or not. And I feel like, I mean, Steamer has him at 253, but his Babbitt's 309 in the Steamer projection. I mean, crap, his Babbitt in his career is 338. So you got to think maybe it's a little bit even higher than that. Um, yeah, O'Neal, you know, I, I drafted him two years ago, of course, in, in a number of different places, but very consistent, which I think is the most impressive thing was able to maintain those contact gains. Still not where you want to be with the contact, 
You can see that in the K rate, but makes really good quality of contact. The O swing has improved since his uh, earlier in his career, which is a really nice sign. You know, both of those improvements, both the contact and the O swing probably related if we're being honest. Um, you know, the speed, he's still young. He's only 26. You know, it feels like he's been around for a little while because he has, but 57 barrels on those 34 home runs, 17.9%. You know, he doesn't play in a great environment in, in St. Louis, but, you know, he's kind of one of those, the later options that you can get one of these power speed combination guys. Um, you know, I, I'm a fan of him. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more open-minded in terms of not being totally put off by these guys with high K rates now. I think it's part of the game, and especially if they can maintain the batted ball quality that he's shown. You know, that's something, as well as with the speed. So, yeah, I think he's 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 solid. Uh, I like I like O'Neal. And then what he, what he did last year, I think, was supported generally. I mean, I don't think he's going to hit 286 again. That's the big question. I don't question, think he's going to hit 286 yeah. again. But, um, yeah, <clears throat> maybe he's part of the yoga narrative, too. I mean, he's a he's really – He's going to need to be. He can't get much He's bigger. a really big dude. I mean, one of the most interesting things, one of the most interesting trades of the last – three or four years, um, or it could be even longer than that, honestly, was he got traded for Marco Gonzalez, if you remember, um, when he was in there. And I remember like a lot of people poo-pooed it from the Mariners side, being like Tyler O'Neill is going to be really good. And who's this Marco Gonzalez guy? And then you have Marco Gonzalez come over and it's like, oh, Marco Gonzalez is clearly winning this. Tyler O'Neill is never going to be relevant. He's just going to strike out a bunch of times. And now you have, you know, Tyler O'Neill really good. Marco Gonzalez not as good. They're both really good players now. And it just seems like a, a trade where it actually kind of worked out generally, where both guys have been really solid contributors for their teams now. And one thing about O'Neill too, I mean, defensively, he's really, really Very good. good. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to keep him on the field all the time. So, yeah, yeah, there's lots of like there. There's going to be a handful of guys like O'Neill, Austin Riley, all these guys that made massive – average gains like i don't think we doubt the power of the speed it's like are they going to give us the average that like a guy around them is going to give us that's the question mark you have to make when you're you know like we talk about people put their spreadsheets together while they're drafting you know what they think their numbers are well you're plugging in this number and you're gonna hope he hits it type thing it can make a, a difference all things considered. at the same time a guy could outperform that you draft later so that's the beauty of it all average is one of those i try not to worry too much about come draft day as long as there's like a, a bucket it can fit in instead of like a whole um, actual number situation. All right. Yeah. Next. Don't, don't over project average though. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Always be conservative. Be conservative. Yeah. You, which, the steamer you usually do, is, which is good. Yeah. I mean, steamers like steamers solid. Like if you go in there and you over project all your guys for batting average, you're going to be in rough shape because later on in the draft, you're going to think you can take some risks on people that you probably can. Um, but anyways, that's just me being me giving unsolicited advice on a podcast. Well, another guy we have to wonder, is he going to stay healthy for us this year is Mitch Hanniger, Who's the 13th outfielder at $31 and 40 cents played 157 games. First time since 2018. He's been battling injuries for a couple of years, but 39 homers, 110 runs, 100 RBIs, hit 253, played phenomenal, especially where you drafted him at last year. Obviously, you're going to pay a bigger price this year, but uh, he played great. I I have so much trouble in drafts trusting his health right now when I'm drafting. 
But man, can he produce? And and the other thing is he's not stealing bases. It looks like that might be a thing of that because of his injuries. Maybe he will this year. Maybe it's a one year thing. Like work it back, so that could be a plus going into this next year. But last year, thirty nine homers, one hundred and one hundred, okay average, a heck of a season to stay healthy from Mitch Haniger. Yeah, and you know I think the home runs were a little bit were a little bit much. Maybe you know the thirty nine. He he had, he hit fifty eight barrels. So. Still really good, a nice max at max EV. I mean, everything was really solid in that perspective. And I actually think there, you know, maybe he makes up for that a little bit by lowering the ground ball rate to closer to his career average. But, you know, yeah, he's all around pretty solid. I mean, he, he slipped a little bit on the plate discipline last year, slipped a little bit on the contact, obviously made up for it in the quality of contact. Maybe one of those situations where, you know, he decides, guess what, I'm going to strike out a little bit more than I have previously but I'm going to mash and he definitely mashed injury concerns that you mentioned, certainly relevant, but also like two of the last three years, he's got 680 plus plate appearances, you know? And, and it's one of those things where and I, and I just read the process and Jeff Zimmerman just updated some of his studies on, on injuries. And I don't think with Hanager, I mean, like they were kind of freak injuries. Like there was the, there was the smash testicle. Like that's just like, not something hopefully that's going to reoccur to him, you know, yeah. like, and that's the one that really like got him. And then he didn't play a ton in the shortened season because it's just like, what's the point? So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if we should have many concerns about the playing time there. Uh, I think he's all around solid. I haven't paid super close attention to what, um, let's see, where, where do they, where, where's he going? So, Steamer has him projected as the 133rd best outfielder or 133rd best player. So he's going, he's going one. Than he's that. going 116. So a little bit of, of um, a little bit bad, but you can look at it a lot of different ways. The 245 batting average is low. It's even lower than last year. You know, it, it also he only had a 16.1 percent line drive rate last year, which is easily the lowest of his career. And we know that line drive rate is relatively useless on a year to year basis. Like from the vast majority of players, there's just high volatility with it. It's not sticky year to year. And so that's a situation where, you know, some of those, some of those fly balls or those ground balls end up being line drives next year. And all of a sudden we're talking about a guy who's closer to his 305 career Babbitt and he's hitting 260 plus. So, you know, there's reasons why that projection is a little bit low. And I also think the Mariners haven't really added anybody that's going to push him out of his lineup spot, you know? So you're going to have probably J.P. Crawford and hitting first. You're going to have, um, uh, what's his what's his face? Tyler France hitting second. Hanniger hitting third, probably. You know, there's not many guys on the free agent market right now that the, that the um, Mariners are rumored to be in on that might take his spot. I mean, maybe Chris Bryant, although... Honestly, Hanniger's a better hitter as far as I'm concerned. Um, maybe Trevor Story, but you know, does Trevor, you know, then he's hitting cleanup instead. So there's a lot of security, I feel like, there, there for Hanniger. So yeah, I mean, I think he's he's fine. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. But we'll wrap up the outfielders there. We've got some listener questions to go over, but there's tons of them. I, I recommend people go check out the player raider because some guys that finished pretty high. I just want to sh- like um, Adelise Garcia, even though he struggled late, still is 19th best. Adam Duvall is 21st. Renfro 22nd. Grossman 24th. Uh, there's Giancarlo at 26. Avi 29. 
So even Austin Meadows, who had a pretty rough year, was the 30th best outfielder. So there's there's a lot to uh, to look for. I, I highly recommend uh, checking out the player radar. That's why we're going through these exercises as we do them. All right, let's get some listener questions for you. We got a, a handful of good ones, like usual, from you wonderful, wonderful people out there. And we wonderful. started off. We we started off with our buddy Matty Williams uh, from the Turn Two Podcast. Tell the Padres not to sign anyone else. Jerks and Profar can play every day. Do you like Jerks and Profar to play every day? Um, no, I don't. Unfortunately, Matt. Um, I I don't. I've never. Yeah, I just you know the guy that I want to see play full time, and that is Hassan Kim. That, I mean, nice. that dude. You know. In 256 play appearance, I think he had eight home runs and six stolen bases, something like that. Yep. You know, so and he, and he looked more, like he was getting better. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a possible 2010 guy there. Easily, if he's yep. playing regularly. That's the guy I'm more interested in. I think they have to get Eric is, Cosmer out, put Cronenworth the first, let Kim play second. Pretty simple. Pretty simple game. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing with Profar for me is the batting average is always suspect. You always think it's going to be better because, you know, because of that, um, because of the really low K rate, but never is. I mean, his Babbitt is 262. The highest his Babbitt, Babbitt has ever been is 293. Um, you know, he just doesn't really have the pop, you know, a little bit of speed. You know, that's kind of nice. The plate skills are 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 nice as well, but you know, let's see, he had eight barrels last year, 2.7% barrel rate, you know, max EV at 107.6. I mean, he's better than Kevin Biggio, but you know, there's just really nothing that interests me in the profile outside of like to Matt's point, I think, you know, which he's making is he's an accumulator. So like, you know, if you give him 500 to 600 plate appearances, he'll certainly be, you know, he'll probably be like a 10, and 10 or 10 and 15, 10 and 12 guy. But, you know, I don't think, um, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I'm with you there. Uh, all day. Joe McHugh has a question for you. Which over 30 outfielder age of 30 has the best chance of maintaining value in 2021 McCutcheon Pollock, Mark Connor or Charlie Blackman? It's a tricky question because there's a lot to go with these guys, but like AJ Pollock is pick 226 right now. Um, yeah, Blackman at 252, Connor at 256, and Kutch is down to 328 right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I kind of dig all of them. Um, for McCutcheon, you know, it depends on where he lands up, lands, but. Man, he got, a, he got a rough time last year. I mean, the dude in 574 plate appearances, he hit 27 home runs, 78 runs, 80 RBI. He only stole six stolen bases. He had a 14% walk rate, a 23% K rate. Um, the dude, like, you know, his O swing was as good as it ever been. You know, the contact rate was down a little bit, but still better than league average. He just had a 242 Babbitt, which is way lower than it's ever been in his entire career, you know, and it's not like he had some weird batted ball profile either, you know, like his ground ball rate actually went up from, from last year and was right in line with his career average. So it didn't make any sense um, whatsoever there. I mean, even when you look at like he had 32 barrels, 9% barrel rate, 
111 max EV, which was his high. It was his highest max EV since 2018. Like there doesn't really seem like there's diminishing skills there. Although obviously like the dude is, you know, 35. So I kind of dig him. Pollock has always been good when he's been healthy. And I think, you know, the, the, the Dodgers are going to be interesting, you know, cause they're losing some guys. And so, and they're not, I haven't really added anybody. Like I've seen rumors of Freddie Freeman, you know, like, but uh, I don't know if I see the Braves like letting him go. So it'll be interesting, but you know, with Pollock, like last year, 422 plate appearances, he had 297, 21 home runs, nine stolen bases. I mean, what if this dude plays like 600 plate appearances because, you know, he's healthy and because the Dodgers don't have as many options as they've had, you know, in pre in previous seasons. Um, you know, everything looks relatively fine. I mean, the Babbitt was a little bit elevated. Carrot was down. You know, the contact rate was good. Oswin was a little bit higher, but he was still making decent contact. So there's a little bit of regression in the strikeout rate, probably a little bit of regression in the Babbitt. So yeah, you're looking at like 260, 270 instead of 290, 300. But the home run and stolen bases are still, you know, relatively speaking there. Had his highest max exit below of his career. He had 34 barrels, 11.1%. Like it's all good there. And again, there may be an increase in playing time if he can stay healthy. And because the Dodgers, I don't think, are going to have as many options offensively as they've had in the past. And then Blackman would probably be the guy that, that just given what I'm seeing right now that I'd probably be less interested in. It just seems like it's been a pretty steady decline for him. You know, last year, yeah, like the power just isn't there. There's just, there's just not a lot there with Blackman. I mean, 30 barrels, 7%, you know, so he was a little bit unlucky in the home run department, but unlucky hitting 13 instead of like 19 maybe um yeah i mean maybe like a little bit more luck with the with the batted ball quality although his his ground ball rate was through the roof at 47% that's just a long way of saying i think you know if i were to if i were to do it i'd go paul at first probably probably go McCutcheon second and then i'd probably go with black yeah, no, we're we're pretty similar. Like, I love McCutcheon. Like, uh, look, talking about everything you you mentioned with the stats is he was, if you want to say unlucky last year, he was quite unlucky when you look at the grand scheme of things of how he actually played compared to the way his statistics panned out. He had a very very good season without the production we would hope for. So, it does depend on where he goes. Him leading off is clutch because um, if he's not, obviously he's going to hurt a lot of his uh, upside, and he's probably going to stop stealing bases, at least a good chunk of them. So keep that in mind. But where you're drafting Matt. That doesn't matter. So I'm still a Kutch fan. Like Pollock would be number one for me if I knew he'd stay healthy. He just can't prove it to me. It's ridiculous what he does. And, yes, the Dodgers have lost a lot of players, but they still find ways to platoon. Like Gavin Lux was out there in the outfield last year. I'm not saying he's going to be in the outfield this year, but the, they find ways to do things. It's really weird with their whole setup. But um, I would have Pollock one. I'm going to go Kutch one, Pollock two. I'm going to go Mark Connor three just because I don't know exactly how they're going to utilize him with the Mets and that whole setup, if he's going to run, if he's going to hit towards the top of the order, lots of questions to be had there. But I like Connor's overall profile. He's another guy that never really bounced back after injuries last year, especially in the power. I, I didn't talk about Connor. Yeah. Oh, you didn't? Um, um, yeah, that's all right. Have, you, you don't need to hear more from me. I just realized I, have, I didn't answer the question. Yeah, I have Blackman four. So that's just because it's, it's the decline of Blackman has continued to slowly happen year after year after year. 
I do the same because I think kind of, I mean, the OBP is phenomenal. He's going to get on base. He's going to score a lot of runs in that lineup. James DeVigrilo in our chat here on the YouTube in the chat. has a question for us. Who's this year's Akil Badu? Totally off the radar player. You never heard of him until last year, and he was a killer dynasty ad. So I haven't dug that deep yet, but um, there are going to be some for sure. Like we know who we know who Rafael Ortega is. I'm not saying he's going to be Akil Badu, but um, there will be some. Do you have anybody? That, I think honestly, I know he was popular last year, but he disappointed a lot. Jaron Duran's going super late this year, and I am all about taking that chance on Jaron Duran for the Boston Red Sox, but I could mm-hmm. be wrong there. He's super late. Yeah, guy you've never heard of. I mean, guy you've never heard of that might be kind of interesting would be, um, for me, would be, um, let me just check roster resources really quickly just to like see if there might be some possibility here. Maybe, maybe it'll be um, Edward Oliver. Okay. This year. Yes, I'm actually like this. I'm going to go on record with this one. I actually, I really like uh, Matt Veerling. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it correctly. From the Philadelphia? But he's a Phillies prospect. Yep. He came up last year. Yep. And what did you do? He, really I mean, he, he only hit 324. He had a 420 Babbitt. But, like, if you look at his projection from Steamer, 265, 12 home runs, seven stolen bases, and 376 plate appearances. I mean, that looks to me like a guy who, if he gets playing time, goes maybe 18 and 10, 18 and 12, you know, something like that. They've got a couple openings there. Um, I know that the hitting guy folks in Philly like him a lot. He had a 111.5 max exit velo. Um, you know, only two barrels, but he's able, we know that he's able to hit the ball hard. Um, I had him, I have him on, on a dynasty league, or at least I did. I don't know. I probably like gave him up in that league or something like that, but he's a guy with an opportunity. I think who's a little bit of a power speed combo and makes contact with the ball. And let's see what his like minor league stats were. Um, I bet he hit like. 570 was like the best ever. Um, so la- la- last year, yeah, last year, you know, strikeout rates of 19.5 and 17.6% in AAA and AA, so pretty low there. You know, combined in 340 plate appearances, he had 11 home runs and 10 stolen bases. Um, you know, hits the ball on the ground a, a fair amount, but you know, at least that's maybe a higher batting average guy. So Matt Veerling is my guy. I think after that, I think you probably already know him, but I also think Anthony Alford um, is worth monitoring for the Pirates. I know Jeff Zimmerman just had a really good tweet just about how he improved as the season progressed. There's obviously massive issues there, um, you know, in terms of contact rate and stuff like that, but you got some pop, you got some speed, um, if he gives, gets a little bit of run in Pittsburgh and things fall the right way, he could contribute considerably as well. So those are two guys that are maybe like lesser known, Veerling being probably the very lesser known guy that I think, um, you know, maybe kind of pop out of nowhere. The thing about Badu too is that he was a rule five guy and he would have yeah, been the majors yep. if, he, if he wasn't rule five. So pay attention to the rule five draft, see if there's guys that maybe have have some skills that, 
may get an opportunity quicker than they would have otherwise because of the rule five nature of rule five nature rule five. Yeah, I, I like I like the Anthony Alford call for sure. Just a couple other names I'll mention that are going after even Veerling. If you're in like the DCs of the world, if you want to take chances, they could be complete duds due to playing time. But uh, Christian Pache of Atlanta, if he ever gets real run, is quite interesting. Uh, but the one that I keep circling back to because he's going to pick 692, and he looked good. At least the quality of contact metrics looked really good. Just the overall health and consistency didn't. But uh, Daz Cameron of Detroit, I think he'll get another shot this year. He's going super, super late. So I think he's another interesting one. I like the Veerling call. He was really solid when he came up. But um, there's some intriguing options in the back end for sure. All right. Rand Simon asks, Acuna has an ADP of 12 and has gone as low as 27. At some point, should we start contemplating a delayed start to the season and move him up the draft boards? And I saw another video today where he's taking more batting practice and there's no D-brace anymore. Like he's starting to to really get going. I know it's just videos. We haven't seen him like run the bases and do all that stuff yet. But he is way ahead of schedule than what he's supposed to be doing. So I don't know. I still haven't had the audacity or the nerve or whatever to actually pull the trigger in a draft on him when I've had the chance. But it's getting really close and I'm starting to maybe regret not taking some chances on him. Yeah, I mean... I mean, we kind of know what the proposition is, right? Like, I mean, incredibly talented and coming back from injury, if he comes back on time and he's healthy and he's able to maintain that health and he's able to run, like, it'll be a steal. Like, no doubt about it at all. You just got to think about whether that's what you want to do. So, I mean, I don't think there's any, like, I mean, we all we all kind of know what the, what the value proposition we're getting there is or not like the value prop, the risk reward proposition that we're getting there is. And so some people are going to take that. They're being good. They're, they're going to be fine with that and others will not. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, he looks, I mean, the video looks fine. You know, you never know with those videos though. I mean, yeah. Like look at his front leg. I mean, didn't look, didn't look totally right when he was swinging to me, but I'm not a doctor. It's good because he hasn't started his yoga yet. He hasn't. Um, yeah. Uh, sure. MS, our buddy at MS at SMMS79 asks, putting my big boy pants on and doing my first fab league and OC qualifier. Good for you, buddy. Good for you. Any advice on how that changes a draft strategy from the first 30 rounds of a DC or a 50? Um, thinking I'll just prioritize pitching a little bit less and trust my numbers, but curious to hear your thoughts. So yeah, fab leagues and DCs, big difference. Big difference. Like, yeah, massive like, difference, man. We had this conversation like Spore and some others because some people were like, why are these relief pitchers going so early? It's because in DCs, you can't get closers off the fab wire. Like, I know there's only been one OC draft. They still kind of went early. I foresee that being not as aggressive. We'll see. But um, you see a lot of different necessities. You know you can get off a waiver wire throughout the season that you don't have to kind of force your hand so much. You can, especially in an OC, a 12-teamer, um, a shameless plug. Mm-hmm. If you listen to my podcast with the guilds, he's crushed 12 team leagues and he talked a lot about scenarios of how he does things different in 12s and 15s. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of good advice in that. So I'd recommend that you, you can definitely make up ground on the waiver wire a lot easier in a 12 team league. So what's your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't listened to that podcast. I need to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, um, it, was, yeah. It, was, it was good. It was good. He's a, there's a reason why he does so well in the OCs. Yeah. So I think generally, like, yeah, I mean, that's the question. Are you used to 15 teamers versus 12 teamers? Because that's certainly a change as well. Um, 
But I think with the Fab League versus the non-Fab League, I think there are pretty considerable differences. Like when you're drafting in a DC, like a lot of the battle is just plate appearances. Like it's a game of of kind of attrition and you you want to get as many guys that are going to get access to plate appearances above like virtually anything else, right? Because you just want to have the flexibility to be able to move guys in and out. You want to be able to maximize those plate appearances. And a lot of times the teams that get the most plate appearances end up end up winning those. And you want to do the same thing in your in your fab leagues, but you just have so much more flexibility, like Bubba mentioned, you know, to be able to work the wire and the 12 team wire. So the things that I'd, I'd say, like in a fab league, you know, I think you can take more risks going after guys, you know, that maybe have higher upside and a lower floor um, going after guys who you're going to know pretty early on in the season, whether they've hit or whether they haven't. So, you know, speculate on some closers late because that gives you either a closer or you can move on from that guy quickly and you'll have a fab spot that you can churn um, as well. So I think those are really big things. I would highly recommend, you know, go, getting the Razzball um, Streaminator. Uh, it's $1 a week, I think, or $1 a month or something. I can't remember what it is, but whatever it is, it's worth it. And essentially they give you weekly projections and it's really helpful as you do your waiver wire and you run your fab to be able to kind of look ahead and say like, okay, like here are some guys that are looking like they're better than, you know, than the other guys on my team that I have that I can pl- plug in. Um, and just really using that to kind of maximize both plate appearances and the value that you're getting off the waiver wire. And then, you know, again, like making sure that you're, um, that you're churning there. So I think those are some things you can have like an unbalanced bench, you know, like where, you know, maybe you have more, a lot more pitchers that you're taking a shot on, or you have a lot more hitters and you can kind of move people in and out. So I do think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of changes there for sure. Um, fab leagues are you have a lot more flexibility, I think in terms of how you build your team. And so I think in that particular instance, like, yeah, maybe it is, you trust your values a little bit more. I wouldn't say like go less heavy on pitching, like, you know, because, um, it just depends. Like, look at what your valuations are, and kind of trust those maybe a little bit more. And then don't be afraid to go for those for those kind of upside plays at different points in the draft. Where if they don't work out, you're not stuck with like either an empty slot in your lineup or an empty slot on your bench. You can kind of move on from them. So those are some of the things that I would say are, are a little bit different. I'm probably forgetting some critical ones. No, it's but it's like you said. Don't forget pitching. Um, you can get like one or two studs and you can almost forget it for a while because it's so deep in a 12 team league compared to a 15 and streamability on the wire. Like when we talk 15 team, like two pitch pitchers is kind of ugly. You can get a lot of two pitch one like in a 12 team last year. I got Herman Marquez throughout the season and he was very streamable at that point in time. Um, there, there's ways to do that at the same time. Bats. I've, you could pick it. I picked up Joey Votto last year, Jazz Chisholm last year, early in the year. Like there's moves, the Tyler O'Neill's of the world. Um, 12 teams have a lot of that compared to 15s where you can also, I wouldn't say punt a position, but like where we force our hands, say at third base or something in a 15, cause you want to like lock in a certain thing um, in a 12 team, like the replacement value of the 12th or 13th third baseman is going to be sitting there super late is going to be way different than like in a 15 because of the, the, where they go in drafts. I might not have made sense, but if you like, you look at an ADP of a 12, like go look at an ADP of the NFBC fifties compared to the DCs. And you'll start seeing the way things flow differently because of the, the player pools and how people are building their teams. They're not needing X player, Y player because there's three fewer teams and you're just doing this and that. So 
big difference. And I, what I'd recommend is if you can do an NFPC 50, just so you can learn the player pool in a 12 team, because it does flow a lot different than in a, in a, in a 15 team DC. If not go to like fan tracks and just go do a, um, I've, I'm hosting 12 team draft and holds. If you'd like to get in one, let me know. I'll put you in it. You can practice if you'd like. It's a different form. It's the same scoring, but the player pool looked different. I get it. But um, that would be my recommendations is check that out. And uh, it, it is different, but I prefer 12s because I like being able to go on the waiver wire and go, okay, this guy can make an impact. Now the bidding's a lot dumber in 12 teamers because it's just, there's no rhyme or reason in some leagues. It's, it's crazy. But in 15 teamers, the options are so limited that you're all kind of going for the same player. And it's just, it's a weird, like if you don't get a certain guy, you're really screwed scenario. So, um, I'd recommend checking all that out. That's my two cents as well. All right. The final final question we have here is Dave Petroziello says, I was wrong about T. Oscar last year, and I like him this year, but the price is high. I don't love a lot of guys in his current ADP range, so maybe I take him, but I wouldn't love it. Or am I wrong, and we're talking about him as a first-rounder next year? I think we already agreed you take him. And he may – I don't know if he's going to be a first-rounder next year, but I think he'll be okay with what takes place unless he gets hurt. Yeah, I mean, one thing is like it's super early in draft to draft a player that you don't like. Yeah. So there are there are options. I mean, don't be afraid to move a guy up that you like more or that you have more belief in. You know, who's maybe going later in the draft. Um, you know, like your third pick being a guy that you're like not that into um, is a little rough. You know, um, and don't get me wrong. Like I've been in situations where, you know, I've I've done that for sure. Um, but I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to improve on moving forward is like draft drafting with conviction, you know, and not letting ADP dictate, um, you know, where you get guys, not that like I did out a ton before, but I think, you know, if there's guys that you really like and they're, they're at ADP of 50 and the chance that you get them coming back around, isn't a hundred percent like snap those guys, like the difference between, you know, 34, let's see the difference between like pick 34, which is a $22 pick and, you know, um, pick 70, 70, which is like a $17 pick, you know, $18 pick, you know, it's five bucks. But when you look at what that actually is in terms of like their stat production, it's probably like three home runs and two stolen bases and you know, 10 points in batting average or something like that. Like, like it's within the range of the outcomes. So don't be afraid to push that guy up, but I, I don't mind Tay Oscar. I mean, I don't know if I'm drafting him where he is because of what, what I, what I'm trying to do. Maybe I haven't really drafted. I've only got that one draft. So we'll see which direction I go, but I think he's, you know, he's shown that he's really solid and the projections think he's really solid. So why not? Yeah, no, he's, I think you'd be very happy with him. I said the only thing, Dave, is if you want to really dig in, and we probably will in future episodes, is compare him with Tyler O'Neill, Randy Rosarena, maybe even Aaron Judge, if you think Judge stays healthy. Like, just kind of compare that grouping of outfielders and see if you're okay with one of them instead. That would be my two cents because uh, personally, if you don't get one of the outfielders in round one and you'd want to get bats early, I want one of those guys in my outfield. So – that's just something like as you start building your draft and looking at different scenarios, that'd be my two cents. Just kind of start game planning that, that that way as we go through things. 
All right, Toby, that'll wrap us up with our outfield review of the 2021 season. We got starting pitching coming up next week. And then before you know it, we're going to be like six weeks away from hopefully a real season and we'll start doing positional previews or something. We'll see. We will. Um, but it is moving along quickly because we are into January. So final thoughts, outfield. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good outfield performances last year. I know it's a shallower position this year. Um, so it'll be interesting when we dig into the preview um, to see where we can find some some nuggets. But I think some of the listener questions kind of unearthed some some of those already. Some guys who are going later on in drafts who may be, who may be interesting guys to have. And that's that's another part there for our buddy uh, MS. Like say the outfield, for instance, that's 15 fewer outfielders that get drafted per se or start. So that changes the way you have to maybe force your hand at the position. Mm -hmm. Where in a 15, it dries up so fast. If like you're not kind of aggressive and getting some early, it's going to get murky. You have a little more leeway. So little things like that. And that's why I suggest if you can do a mock draft, a DC, like a 50 something to get an idea how that flows or just go look at the ADP and see how it's flowing. That'll help you a ton. So outfield's fun. It's fun. It's different. A lot of multi-position guys there, which helps. But um, it's very, very interesting. And we will definitely unearth some because there's some later round interesting nuggets, as you said, that we will talk about as the weeks go on. But for now, we will wrap it up there. Uh, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDendrick. This is Bub on the BatFlip, episode 107. Catch you guys next time. up for episode 203 of the podcast and edition number uh, 107 of Bubba the Batflip. Hope you enjoyed uh, that season review of Outfield. As I mentioned in the intro, we will be doing starting pitchers and closers combined next week um, to wrap up this uh, season review uh, portion of our podcast uh, this early this winter. And then we will uh, shift over to positional previews starting with the catcher position um, on uh, the subsequent podcast. So should be fun getting into the swing of things. Hopefully, you know, MLB and, and the players can figure their things out and we will have a season that starts on time and looking forward to getting started drafting. So best of luck with all of your uh, fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind.